This message is brought to you by the CD and Internet Ministry of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. It's always a pleasure to have one of our elders standing in for Pastor Matt while he is on vacation. And today we have Elder Mike Jones preaching from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, in verse 10, in his sermon entitled, Partnering with God Through Giving. Let's join Mike now in his message. If you turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 10 through 20 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. So if you're going through your Bible, it's Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. And while you're turning there, I'll just uh, mention that as I was thinking about what I would preach today, I had a couple of things going on in my mind. I was uh, thinking about the series that we came through in Second uh, Peter and the fact that uh, difficult days are ahead of us. And whether you're pre-trib or pre-wrath or pan-tribulation or it's going to all pan out in the end, uh, the Bible assures us that in difficult days it's going to go from bad to worse. And uh, as a body of believers, I think the time is coming and uh, very soon, which we're really going to need to draw upon uh, each other. Another thing that was going through my mind is that um, Pastor Matt was uh, speaking, I think it was last Sunday, about the glory of God or the Sunday before. And that was uh, resonating in my mind as well. And that helped me uh, decide, uh, as the Lord led, on what I would preach today. We may be called uh, by God to uh, lean on each other. And this morning we're taking sort of a hot air balloon ride over these ten verses I originally preached this in three sermons, and uh, given the time we have this morning, unless you don't want to get out until lunch, uh, we're just going to have to move right through these verses, and so we're not going to be able to unpack every little uh, thing in every verse this morning. And I also want to, uh, as we go through this passage, um, share from our personal experience, Virginia and I, how uh, what Paul experienced, Virginia and I experienced, and so I'll be bringing some of that to bear on the passage as well. Before we get into uh, the reading of this word, I just want to give a little bit of background. Uh, the Philippian church was a church that Paul founded on his second missionary journey, and some of the events that might you might remember, Paul came to this uh, town. He met some women who were uh, uh, washing clothes and whatever by the riverside. He began speaking to them. A woman named Lydia, who was a seller of purple, invited him to come, and Paul spoke to her and her household, and they all accepted Christ. Uh, As Paul was going through Berea, the slave girl was uh, following him, shouting out, uh, these are servants of the Most High God, trying to teach the way of salvation. And and, uh, after a few days of this, Paul got really annoyed, and he turned around to to her, he saw the demon that was her source of her fortune telling and said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And this girl had a come to Jesus meeting, got saved, delivered from her demon possession, and <clears throat> seeing all the hope of uh, her, she was owned by a guy who made profit off of her. She was a slave, and he made money off of her fortune telling, and seeing that all his hope now of making money was gone, he incited a riot. Long story short, Paul get, and Silas get thrown into jail in the middle of the night while they're singing praises to God. An earthquake comes, pops the prison doors open. 
the jailer who thinks he's going to be uh, killed for letting his prisoners get away, uh, Paul puts, puts him at ease and says, hey, we're here, we haven't gone. The jailer and his family come to know the Lord. That's sort of the beginning of the church at Philippi. And now we come to our passage in chapter 4. And if you'd stand with me, we're going to read together God's word from verses 10 through verses 20. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, to God our Father, be the glory forever, amen, and ever, amen. May God add his blessing to his holy and inspired word. You may be seated. This morning we want to see how God uses believers to bless other believers and how God is glorified in the process. Partnering with God involves uh, partnering with God through giving involves a genuine concern for others. Twice in this verse, verse 10. Sorry, I lost my place here. In verse 10, Paul talks about concern. The question for us this morning is, how do you respond when you become aware of someone else's need? Have you ever wanted to give someone but to someone or maybe a missionary or a cause, but you lack the opportunity to do that? Well, that's, that's what happened to the Philippian church. They wanted to support Paul, but they were unable for a period of time. But they never stopped caring for Paul. And ten years later, now Paul is in Rome in prison, writing to this church in Philippi, to the believers there, and they had stayed with him all that time. They never lost their concern and their love for him. Last week I shared about how God had led us to Oregon, and from Oregon I sensed God's call to go into the ministry. And uh, over a process of a couple of years, our little church there in the coastal town of Bandon, Oregon, had been uh, encouraging us to uh, me to uh, further my studies and to learn God's word. I, I taught men's Bible studies and uh, different Bible classes, and I worked with the youth group, but I really didn't have the hermeneutics and the homiletics 
and the things that you need to interpret God's word properly. And uh, I had some commentaries, and I had a Thayer's Greek lexicon, which I didn't even know how to use. And uh, people were praying for us, and the, and the church encouraged us. And I'd been scouting out a couple of Bible college, colleges in the Oregon area. One of them was Multnomah School of the Bible up in Portland, Oregon. And uh, at that time, I'm managing a hardware store on the Oregon coast. You're not getting rich managing a hardware store on the Oregon coast. And uh, the pastor and I were accountability buddies. We got together every week for prayer and discipleship and and uh, bearing one another's burdens. And um, I had looked at catalogs, and I kind of got to the end of all of that search. And... Uh, I was meeting with a pastor, one on one in his office, and I said, you know, I know God is leading me to do this, but there's just no way I can do this. And I I looked at a catalog for Briarcrest Bible College in um, <clears throat> Canada, and I really felt that that's really where I wanted to go. And um, I said, but I don't know how I can do this. And he said, you know, when we were there, we sold our home and we left some money in the bank, and we want you to take it and use it. And uh, that was the beginning of a faith journey. And uh, we used that money. It was seed money to get started to uh, go to Canada and to <clears throat> further, uh, or not further, to get, my, get the studies I need. I hadn't had studies before, so I wasn't furthering very much. <clears throat> and that was the beginning of a faith journey. And we had uh, friends from our... Bible study back in California when they heard about it. They wanted to become involved in uh, what we were doing. And uh, uh, one of our good friends that we had in our uh, home Bible study there in California, uh, Carl and Judy Augino. We met Carl and Judy at a Bible study. They were uh, instrumental in bringing Virginia and I back to the Lord. The people that led Carl and Judy back to the Lord uh, brought us to the Lord, and we we're all part of a Bible study fellowship group out of Grace Community Church <clears throat> out in the valley. And we hit it off right away. The Alginos and the Joneses, we went out to the desert. We went four-wheeling together, motorcycle riding, um, having a good time. We got together. We lived both at that time lived up in Mission Hills close by, and we got together, and our families got together and just had a great time. When we decided to move to uh, Oregon, they helped us pack the U-Haul trailer in my van to help us move on up. And uh, when they learned we were going to Bible college, they wanted to help support us. And for once a month, for four years, they faithfully sent a check to help support us through ministry, towards the ministry. And on another occasion, we were between our first and second uh, year of Bible college, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to come down to California and work for a friend who owned a bike store in Upland. I was in the bike work for years before I'd uh, moved to Oregon. And uh, he said, you know, I <clears throat> was in an accident this year. I had a bunch of, uh, I need some dental work. I need somebody to come in and run my store. I didn't even have enough money to get to California to take the job. Carl and Judy sent us their Texaco gas credit card, and they said, come. And when we, we got here, they gave us their motorhome to use for the summer. So we parked the motorhome at Virginia's uh, parents' home, 
and I worked every day, and the kids got to go swimming, and the Lord worked that all out. <clears throat> on another occasion, and I have so many stories, I could go on all day, and I know I don't have that much time. <clears throat> on another occasion, uh, the end of that summer, we were having all kinds of car problems, and now we've got to get ourselves from California back up to Canada to go to our second year of school. And the night before, I had trouble with a car that uh, week. I had, put, had to put a radiator in it. The night before, we were supposed to pull out and go over to uh, Carl and Junie's, and from there we were going to take off. The fuel pump went out on my car, and I was out at 11 or 12 o'clock at night putting a fuel pump on my Buick to get us back. The night before we drove away, Carl brought some stuff out, and he was throwing some, he was an electrician, he was throwing some fittings in my toolbox and a couple rolls of electrical tape and all this stuff, and, and he goes, hey, you know, I got this stuff, you might need it. Well, our plan was to leave the valley and drive up, and I forget what the road was, but we had to go through the Mojave Desert to get to the main highway that we were going to shoot on up to Canada. And we get off on our way, and I tuned the car up and everything that week. We got up to that little spur road, and we're out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. I were trying to get out across the desert before it got real hot. And uh, I'm driving along, and all of a sudden the car just pow, and comes, comes to a halt. <clears throat> oh, no, I mean, you know, I've had a whole week of this, and I've got this whole trip ahead of me, family in the car, <clears throat> and um, I get out there and I monkey around with the car, get the timing light out and check everything and start the car up, get up to speed again, get up to about 45, pow, blah, blah, blah. and by this time I'm standing in front of the car with the hood open and the tears coming down going, what is going on? And uh, after monkeying around some more, I got into the distributor cap and where the little rotor thing goes around, it had cut the little wire that jumps over to the points. I know, ladies, you're real impressed with this. <clears throat> and it was causing a short out. And you know what I needed? The electrical tape that Carl had put in the toolbox the night before. So we had learned to live by faith, and 39 years later, they're still our good friends and I got word yesterday after the elders meeting that uh, Carl went to be with the Lord on Friday. So I thank the Lord for the many Carls and Judies that he has brought into our life. And partnering with God also involves a steadfast dependence on God. Twice in the verses 11 through 13, Paul says that uh, he had learned the secret of contentment. God, God's word, uh, we learn from God through his word, and we learn through good Bible teachers, but we also learn dependence on God through the experiences he brings into our life. Paul did not uh, have an easy life. It was bigger on my screen at home. Listen to Paul's life. He said he had been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen 
and danger from Gentiles, and danger in the city, and danger in the country, and danger at sea, and danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all, for all the churches. Through all of these tribulations, God was teaching Paul something that uh, he needed in his life. And writing from prison in Rome, facing possible execution, Paul was able to say he had learned the secret of contentment. He said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The word strengthen actually comes from a word I probably can't pronounce correctly in the Greek. It's undo, undo manao, which means to empower. It's, you know, the word dynamite? It comes from that word group. So the word strengthen, Paul got his strength and empowerment from God. It's interesting that the Philippians were foremost and uh, in love with God and in partnership with God because they put Jesus first. In 2 Corinthians, it's much smaller back there. I guess that's what's throwing me off. He wrote, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up with, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You see, Paul understood that there was this partnership. They were in partnership with God, and in turn, they partnered with Paul, and they depended on God for their sustenance, and Paul did too. And so this partnership was forged. Thirdly, we find that partnering with God through giving involves a determination to get involved. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. The word share in the Greek is this word, I won't try to say it, but you'll recognize part of it is the koinonia word. We're familiar with koinonia, to have in common, to share. And this word means to um, uh, be a partaker with, with others or to participate with a person. And so these people had chosen to get involved in Paul's life. Tom and Beth our pastor at our little church in Oregon, the couple that let us use the money that they had left in the bank when they sold their home, had chosen to get involved in our lives. And years after all the prayers and all the preparation and the scouting to be able to go to Bible college, here we were with that Buick that I had spent so many hours under the hood trying to keep running with our trailer in tow, Moving up to, we're in Canada now, moving into the province of Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan is right above the North Dakota 
Montana border, and you're saying, where's Montana? But it's right along our northern border. And uh, we are in the country now and getting ready to cross into Saskatchewan. And about three hours further down the road, we would arrive at the Bible College. Because Tom and Beth had decided that they would be involved and partner with God. Many people like Carl and Judy, our friends here in the picture, uh, chose to get involved in our lives. And when you look at verse 15, it says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. There were a lot of churches there that had the opportunity to participate, but they didn't. And they missed out on the blessing from being in partnership with God and Paul in furthering the gospel. Some Christians miss the blessing because they don't want to get involved. Some people uh, are judgmental or insensitive. They, uh, we had uh, some critics when we went to Bible college. Some people uh, kind of frowned on people who were living by faith. We sometimes arrived at school and we didn't have enough money for the whole semester. And uh, one gal named Liz in the business office made her view quite known to people that she just uh, couldn't understand how people could come to uh, school and trusting in the Lord and living by faith. She kind of had everything all arranged in her life and a plan on how everything was going to fall into place. Four years later, we had graduated and we had come back to the Bible school for a pastor's conference. When I left the school, all our bills had been paid for the whole four years, living by faith. All our bills had been met, except we owed the college about $2,500. And I was making, I'd arranged with the school to pay that off uh, over uh, the next few years. And I was making the payment at the business office, and I got to see Liz. And Liz informed me that they were going to be missionaries, and they were going to Aruba. And they said, if the Lord could take care of the Joneses, he can take care of us. It was difficult listening earlier in the earlier years to the little snippy remarks, but God was using the Joneses to show Liz how he could provide for people. When we crossed into the Canadian border every year, we had to show that we had proof of funds to sustain us for the whole year that we would be there for our studies. The first year when we came to the uh, school, we had a letter from Tom and Beth's bank that we had $4,000 on the books there that was available to us. And when you get to the customs office and you go up and you talk to the immigration people and customs people, they fill out a form like this. And in a little box here is how much money you have available for your time there. And they wrote in the amount and we went in. Well, at the end of the first year, the permit is only good while you're a student. And when the year is over, you have to leave the country and you have to exit and show that you have left the country. And as we were leaving the first year, the immigration guy looked at that thing and he looked at the $4,000 and he just shook his head and he said, there's no way they should have let you in with that amount of money. I worked all that summer 
that was the year we went down, and I worked uh, for my friend in the bike shop, and the Aginos took care of us. And after all my scrapping around and doing everything I could and fixing cars, we came to the border with $400 in our pocket. And I told the immigration guy, I go, you know, and I had already called the school, and I, don't know, I said, I don't know how we're going to do this because this is where we're at. And the school said, if you come, we'll, if you can get here, we'll work with you. I told the immigration guy, I go, before I get you mad and you do all this paperwork, I'm just going to show you what we have. This is it. This is what we're doing, and we're sure God is going to provide for us. And on this form is written $400. The year before, the guy shook his head and said they shouldn't have even let us in with 4000 We entered Canada with $400 to our name with the whole year of expenses ahead. And when you're there as a student, you can't accept employment. So we were totally dependent on the Lord. Even if I could have worked and would have been willing to work, I wasn't legally able to work. The third year we came back to school, we had even less. Same story, different officer. Explain the whole thing, and in that little box, he just wrote confirmed, and we went on in. Uh, If God didn't want me in the ministry, he could have shut the door many times before we got that far along. And I say this not to, uh, I mean, to God be the glory, because uh, there was nothing that, uh, you know, I had done. Paul talks here about the matter of giving and receiving. I think that's in verse 15. Nobody shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. I found that uh, receiving is very humbling. And I think that as believers sometimes it's very hard for us to accept help. We think of ourselves as being a charity case, and we don't accept charity. I've had people say that to me. Uh, we've tried to help, and, and uh, I don't accept charity. Uh, Paul wasn't too proud to accept the help of people. But it is very humbling when you're receiving. And remember that this church was not a money church. This was not a church that had deep pockets to go into. This was a church that out of their poverty, they still dug down deep to meet the needs of Paul. When I think of the people that supported us, most of the people that helped us were not rich people. And I could tell you, uh, I'll just tell you about Bob Propeck. Bob Propeck was a guy in our church in Oregon, and we were in a town with three lumber mills and a big logging influence, and uh, as well as cranberry bogs and other things. And his uh, little thing was whittling down these little logger boots that he sold to little souvenir shops along Highway 101. So as tourists drove through, they'd go into these little shops and buy Oregon, you know, knickknacks. And he would just sit there whittling these little shoes. And then he wanted the proceeds to go to us. And when his check for 14 bucks came, you don't know how many groceries that would buy but we knew how much it cost Bob to give that $14 up. It's very humbling when you receive from people. And I know there are Christians that would never want to live like that. They never, they don't want to be a missionary because they don't want to be totally dependent on the Lord for their income. But Paul knew that God was going to take care of them as well. 
Paul was not too proud to accept the help of others, nor did he try to mislead people about his needs. In this verse, he told the people, I've been refreshed by this gift, but I want you to know I've been amply supplied. I have everything that I need. There are some people who manipulate other Christians into giving for their own needs. Some of them are on TV and some aren't. But uh, Paul didn't mislead people about his circumstances. He said he'd learned how to live on humble means and he'd learned how to live in when times were better. And Paul wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. You'll remember that some of his ministry, he was a tent maker. And he, uh, used, he worked by day and preached by night. And he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. And what I'm talking about today, I'm not advocating that we all uh, quit our jobs and sit around and wait for the manna to come down from uh, on high. But Paul wasn't afraid to work. The years that we went through this, I did every job that I could possibly do, and I have all my life. I've uh, picked weeds in cranberry bogs up there in Oregon. I've waxed airplanes. I've done manual work. I worked as a wallpaper hanger, and uh, I've hung gyp rock and done everything I can possibly do to uh, meet the needs of my family, sometimes working two and three jobs at the same time. Paul wasn't afraid to get his work, and what I'm sharing today, I'm not advocating that, oh, well, I think I'll just quit my job and, you know, God's going to supply if uh, the enemy's whispering that to you. That's not what this message is about. But God does supply our needs when we are faithful to him. But as a receiver, sometimes it's hard to uh, be humble. It's hard to be willing to say, I need help, to maybe go to one of the elders and say, you know, our power is going to get shut off on Tuesday and we can't make this bill. And it's, it's hard to do that. But uh, we have some of those funds. And maybe you see somebody like that in the congregation. And uh, maybe that's something that you could help out with. You see, it's, it's really about us seeing the needs of others and responding to the needs, as well as us who are in need, being willing to accept what the people are doing to help us. My motto became, praise the Lord and pray for more. You know, And uh, I actually, I mean, it was just exciting to see how God was uh, coming through for us time and time again. And then fourthly, partnering with God involves... understanding uh, God's providence. Jerry Bridges, in his book, uh, Trusting God, offers this definition and uh, of providence. And if you don't have Jerry Bridges' book on trusting God and you're a believer, you need this book in your library because there are going to be these times when we're called to trust on God and we're trying to sort out things like uh, why do good things happen to bad people a great book. I've been through it two or three times and I've taught from it. But he offers this definition of providence in his book. He says, God's providence is his constant care for an absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and for the good of his people. Paul knew that he could never repay the kindness of the Philippians, but he did know who could. He knew that God could supply their needs. Look down at verse 17. Paul's saying, 
I know that um, I'm not seeking the gift as he's giving this thank you lever, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And look down at verse 19, he says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God knew that uh, if the Philippians were putting themselves in a place where they're helping him was going to put them in need, that God was going to take care of their need. Sometimes we want to take verse 19 as a standalone verse and just say, oh, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that's true. But we have to see in a very important word in front of verse 19, which is and. And the word and connects it to the previous verses. When believers have helped others, and that maybe puts them in a shortfall, God has gone on record as saying he will supply their needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And if you happen to be a missionary and, or a person who is on the receiving end of things, and you're looking at this person who you know has really had to dig down deep to help you, leave it in God's hands and the providence of God because God will supply all their needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The primary application of this passage is a partnership that we enter into with God when we're supporting people who are in the Lord's work. Paul was a missionary, and they were supporting him in the spreading and proclamation of the gospel. But I think there are also principles that we can draw from this passage. If you're not involved in giving and receiving, really you're missing out because you're missing out on the blessing of seeing the impact that you're having on somebody else's life. Um, The few times as an elder when we've been able to, as I've been able to go and share uh, somebody's need and bring it to the board and they cut a check for that person and it it meets their need, uh, that's a great experience. And when I've been able to hand somebody a check and put my arm around them as they're crying, uh, I have the joy of doing that. But you know what? You're not there to see that happening. When you do that directly, you have the joy of being the direct contact. And I'm not saying don't give to the elders fund. That's great. And it's good that we have some funds there to help people. And it's there for that purpose. But uh, don't miss out on the blessing by looking around and saying, well, maybe somebody else will take care of them. And I'm going to share a little later some different ways that we can do that. You see, when we do this, when we partner with God, the, the receiver is blessed because their need has been met. You're blessed because you have the joy of doing it. And God receives the glory. Look down at verse 18. Paul says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus that which you have sent. Watch this. A fragrant aroma an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Back in Leviticus, when the offerings were presented to the Lord, the cereal offering, the meal offering, the various offerings, it was said to be a pleasing sacrifice, uh, producing a soothing aroma to the Lord. God was pleased with the offerer who was giving up that offering. And that's what Paul is drawing on in this passage. And when you participate in this way with others, 
It's as if you're offering up a sacrifice to God. And then lastly, partnering with God through giving involves an obvious response. Paul concludes this letter with a benediction in verse 20. He says, now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What I've shared today this morning, I hope, brings glory to God. I've only given you the tip of the iceberg of what God has done in our lives in the relationships we've had with people and the various ways that he has uh, met our needs. And I say it all to the praise and glory of God because God could tell you how many times I doubted how many times I wanted to quit, how many times I thought I was on the wrong track, how many times I was discouraged, and yet in spite of all that, God came through. So partnering through God, uh, through giving, is really not to make us look good as the giver or to make me look good. It's really to bring glory to God. And there are many ways that you can partner with God through giving. Uh, We've received money. Sometimes that's been in the form of employment, and maybe you're in a position to be able to hire somebody who is in need, who can work for the money that they need. And uh, I've been blessed many times that way. Sometimes it may be food, a box of groceries that you could bring to somebody. We had this one guy in Bible college, he called himself the margarine man. And um, faithfully, every week, on our porch was a deposit of margarine. And when it's 30 below zero outside, you really don't have to worry about it melting. (laughs) When we'd be away at a meeting or at a school activity or at a a conference or one of the services, we'd come home and there was the margarine with a little note, the margarine man. We didn't know until we graduated from school, we had an idea who the margarine man was. And that was his ministry, keeping us in margarine. Well, anyway, that was just one. Uh, maybe you're a mechanic or a handyman, and you just have God's gifted you with the ability to fix wash machines and do oil changes and those kind of things. And maybe there's a young single mom in our church that uh, could use your help. That may be another way that God, you could partner with God to help meet the need of somebody in our uh, the body of believers here. And uh, not it's uh, last, but certainly not least, is prayer. Prayer is important. We had people on their knees praying us through Bible college. Our little church there in Oregon, those folks were just so faithful to us in prayer. But don't be surprised if God uses you to be the answer to your own prayer. With that, I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and they're going to close us in our uh, service. And let's just, as they're coming, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I just give you the praise and the glory for what you've done in my life and Virginia's life and I uh, thank you for great friends like the Aginos and so many others that uh, met our needs and people who still do to this day and I give you the praise and the glory for your uh, good and constant provision and I pray these things in Jesus name Amen Hey, thanks for being with us today It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, 
and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.